The Investigator's Toolbox is here. Are you a licensed investigator, an investigative or security professional? How would you like to gain work-based skills, be more productive, and grow your business? Well, welcome to the investigatorstoolbox.com. Check out this industry-changing website that's pioneering into the future today. You can network with other investigators in our forums. You can take a webinar, check out a blog or read an article to brush up on your skills. You can visit our vast resource catalog of research websites and bookmark them in your own private library. Everybody's talking about the Investigator's Toolbox. This really is the future of networking, learning, and resource management. Check this out. For a limited time, we're offering a legacy discount for new members. If you sign up early, we'll save you 25%. Take advantage of exclusive discounts from site partners like Crosstracks, Delfpoint, PI Magazine, Hetherington Group, Scope Now, Paraben, and so many more. Just visit the website investigators-toolbox.com and check out the demo video in the Who We Are section. Can you afford 41 cents a day? If the answer is yes, then don't delay. Join the community. Investigatorstoolbox.com. These discounts won't last. That's www.investigators-toolbox.com. Everybody, it's Matt. Uh, thanks for tuning in to the program this week. Before we jump in, I want to talk to you a little bit about Crosstracks. Crosstracks is a big time supporter of the show. They've been on board very early on, and I'm very appreciative for the support they've given. So here's a funny story. I was not a Crosstracks user when we started having discussions about them coming on as a sponsor. So I decided to check them out and, uh, you know, I was using Dropbox and kind of doing my own thing and, uh, you know, I have a good sized business. We have quite a few law firms we service in New York and uh, I was like, ah, I don't need this case management stuff. Man, was I mistaken. As soon as I checked this uh, system out and I started really uploading everything and, and using it on a regular basis, man, it has really increased my productivity. My clients are super stoked that I'm using it because uh, it allows them to actually stay on top of their cases and get regular updates without having to shoot emails or make phone calls. They know exactly what's going on in their case, which is something that's absolutely phenomenal. The pricing on it's really reasonable too, you know, and you can build it into your pricing, you know, as like an administrative charge, uh, tack on a couple bucks to each assignment. Your clients are not going to complain. They're going to understand. They're going to be happy because, you're using a, a management system that allows them to have access to their files. It's, it's worth it. I mean, I, I've not had one client call me to complain about uh, a, a minimal administration charge that I've now tacked on to, uh, to my invoices. So definitely check them out. Consider it. It's crosstracks.co. You'll see the information in the show notes. So if you're um, not using a case management system, check it out. If you are using a case management system and you don't like what you're doing, or you, you used to use Crosstracks and you want to come back, give them a call, contact them, tell them you're supporting the show and you want to know a little bit more about uh, what they're offering. So we're going to jump into the program now and uh, thank you everyone again for tuning in and uh, please support our sponsors. It really means a lot. So thanks guys and uh, enjoy the show. Welcome to this week's episode. Ever wonder about those DNA tests out there? Do you think they're admissible in court? Have you been contacted to find a lost relative and you don't know where to begin? Well, this week's show is for you. Today, we welcome Lisa Healy Miller. 
Lisa has built an investigation business focusing on these issues. We have lots to cover, so let's dive in with Lisa and your host, private investigator Matt Spare. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of PI Perspectives. This week we're in for a treat. I actually was able to reach out to somebody I've known for quite some time, somebody who does something a little bit different. She gets into a genealogy and, and uh, retracing steps of, of people, right? A forensic genealogist, I guess is what you call it. So today's guest is Lisa Healy Miller. And uh, Lisa, I want to welcome you to the program. How are you? Thanks, Matt. Great to be here. Okay. Did I say that right? A forensic genealogist? Is that, is that the right uh, description for you? That is correct. Okay. All right. Cool. So you and I have known each other for uh, quite, a, quite a few years, right? Uh, we met mm-hmm. through the Society of Professional Investigators. Yes. Um, and I believe you're also a member of Aldenese, which is the uh, Licensed Investigators Association for New York State. And uh, yes. yeah, we, we've chatted over the years and I've just been fascinated by what you do. So tell me a little bit about your background, exactly what you do and how you got into this business. Sure. When you say forensic genealogy, I'll set apart for your listeners how that differs from sort of just genealogy or mainstream genealogy. This is genealogy with a legal practical focus. With all due respect to genealogy for hobbyists, tracing your own family, which is how I started and how everyone starts, this is a little bit different. This is genealogy for legal purposes. And that means identifying a person, proving their identity for the purpose of a legal case. Now, that can be identifying an individual in an adoption case. Most often, the ones I work on are air search cases where someone has died and and there is a will or there is no will, and we have funds uh, that by law need to be dispersed, or possibly clearing up a title on a piece of property. So tracing it down through the subsequent owners and then finding their descendants, finding out uh, who would be entitled to or who owns that piece of property so that it, it can be sold or repurposed or what have you. Okay. So you're you're based out of Boston, correct? Yes, I am just outside of Boston. So how has COVID affected your ability to do what you do? COVID has affected what I do to some extent. Thankfully, a fair number of the records I need to look at, historical records, are online, so I can do that from my office. Unfortunately, a lot of repositories are closed, so if I need to look at historical documents or get access to uh, vital records, a lot of that has been shut off. And as we all know, any PI who has had to deal with a legal case, courthouses have been closed, um, and they've been slowly starting to open up. So it has slowed down the process somewhat. On the flip side, because sadly so many people have died from COVID, there are now some cases where the heirs need to be identified. So I do have attorneys reaching out to me to help identify heirs and move the cases along. Yeah, I've actually seen a a big uptick in that in New York for me, right? So Mm -hmm. even attorneys I work with have family members that have died and they're they're trying to put the pieces together. Yes. And, uh, you know, there's a, 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 a wife that's been the wife only for about three or four years, and the kids are now fighting with the, the new wife over the estate, and they're trying to figure out what's what. It's, uh, it's, it's been mm-hmm. a mess. So definitely have seen the uptick in that, too. And, I, I, you know, unfortunately, I mean, I, I think you're going to see that trend there. And you're, there's going to be some fraud-related issues, too potentially that uh, that could be popping up. So uh, it, interesting times we live in, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Although in uh, 
I would say in the states that I've dealt with, which mainly I've uh, handled cases in Massachusetts and New York, the law is crystal clear. This is an interesting point you raised, Matt, because mm-hmm. the law is crystal clear in terms of who inherits. I worked on a case once, uh, the estranged daughter of quite a wealthy man who uh, lived in Manhattan was set to inherit uh, all this money when he died. And various friends of his did not want this daughter to have the money or didn't think she was entitled to it because, oh, you know, they haven't spoken in years and so forth. Doesn't matter. The law, as you know, is quite clear that if this is the closest living relation, this is who the money goes to. Doesn't matter if they they may have never even met the person. But if this is a, a first cousin and that's the only person left surviving, that's the person that gets the money, according to the law. Yeah, it kind of it is what it is, right? Yes. Um, so tell me a little bit about your background. I mean, you, you had mentioned you started doing research on your own family, but but what what is your um, uh, educational background, and and when did you become a, an investigator, and how did you get to that sure. point? Well, it's related and it's not related. <laughs> I have people say, well, how did you get into this? Because I actually started as a broadcast journalist. Oh, wow. I graduated with a degree in English literature from University of Massachusetts at Boston. Uh, wanted in the worst way to be a television reporter, so just did tons of internships, got my foot in the door, and worked at TV stations as a reporter and in Rhode Island and in Boston. After about 15 years and also doing some producing for national shows. I I had had my fill of that, 15 or 20 years of that, and felt like I had done all I could do with it and wasn't really sure where I was going next. And there's a branch of my family tree that I really never knew much about, uh, about my dad's family. And I just started researching as a hobby and got fascinated by that and subsequently thought, well, can this be a profession? Uh, So I took an excellent course, which I would highly recommend to anybody out there who wants to get some professional training in genealogy. And that is a course at Boston University, which is a certificate in genealogical studies. And I attended for six months and that put me on my path. And then a, a subset of that was a forensic genealogy. And I was just so taken with that immediately because as much as I enjoy the work as a hobbyist, the thought of actually doing this as a practical application, as something that can influence someone's life, that can help someone answer a question, sure. that can assist an attorney, that was very attractive to me. Yeah, and it's almost like that 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 problem solving, right? Getting the answer, that that obsession with I got to figure this out, and and uh, you know whatever it takes to get it done. I, I think the air search is it's one of the most difficult things to do because you're really counting on someone to be forthright with you too, right? When you're interviewing somebody, you're really going yes. off the information they're giving you, and you don't know if it's it's legitimate, right? You're taking it on face, and now you have to, you know, you got to vet it, and you got to see if it's it's actually uh, there. So it's definitely very challenging. Oh, absolutely. And I think I think you and I uh, and all investigators, in order to do what we do, we all have that curiosity gene. It's more of an obsession, right. I'd say. It's like, what? how does this work? How do I get to the bottom of this? How right. do I get the answers I need? So um, yes, we start by interviewing people about their family, but you can't take that um, as an absolute because I've either I've had this happen or colleagues have had this happen where names of certain relatives have been withheld. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, I have seven siblings, but if I only give out my name and my sister's name, uh, then we'll inherit the lion's share. No, doesn't work that way. We yeah. start out interviewing, but then everything has to be documented. So we, you can't take anybody's 
word for it, as you say. Healthy dose of skepticism there. Yeah, and then you have the <laughs> the your sibling that died, you know, or is in jail or something. You know, like they, they conveniently forget about that one, you know, like oh yeah, what? I forgot about George. Yeah, and he's got three kids. Yeah, but he's dead, so I didn't think that mattered. You know, like that's exactly <laughs> right. And and his children under the law would be certainly entitled to inherit and. You know, then, of course, you get the argument, well, his kids never met uncle so-and-so. Doesn't matter. Under the law, they are entitled to inherit. Right. So do you do a lot of uh, testifying in court? I have done it. Yes, it depends. If it in New York State and in Massachusetts, those are the states I can speak of. It's probably right. similar in most states. In a case where there is no will, uh, that's where you need to go and testify. When there is a will, we still have to sometimes, if, if there isn't anybody obvious to inherit, such as you know children or siblings, right. we do have to track down to the level of first cousin or first cousin once removed. And that can usually, when there is a will, you can submit a sworn affidavit to the court and that's fine. But in a case where there is no will, that is when I have been called in to testify. Right. I know like one of the challenges I used to deal with a lot, uh, when I was doing a lot of field work, was the citation waivers, right? Getting those signed and convincing somebody you know, like, hey, you know, this proceeding is taking place. So-and-so has made a petition. You know, uh, if, if you think you're better than this person, here's the date you got to go to court or can you sign this thing, please, so we can get this thing filled. <laughs> oh, what a challenge. What a real challenge. Yes. Stuff done. Thankfully, I don't have to do that. The yeah. attorney's offices have dealt with that. So I'm very glad I don't have to oh, do God, that. Oh, it stinks. It's the um, worst. <laughs> but, <laughs> you want to talk but, about but using that? Jedi mind trick at times. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, when, you, when you bring that up, the, the, the Jedi mind trick I have to use, uh, speaking in that vein, is to convince someone you're not a scam artist. Yes, so I am right yes. now doing one case that deals with an exceptionally large family, um, and I may find one sibling, and I'm trying to find the others. and can't find evidence, can't find written records. So you say, can you please identify these cousins or these siblings? They don't even want to identify themselves because they think it's a scam and rightly so. Yeah. Rightly so. So you have to, um, you know, convince them that you're honest. I point them to the, to my website so they know I'm not calling from out of the country. Um, and I found that a, a letter with letterhead often does a trick. For yeah, some reason, definitely. they'll take definitely. that more seriously than than just my voice on the phone. Yeah, and I think the way you carry yourself too makes a difference, right? You know, talking with mm-hmm. authority and just you know having that calm, cool voice and not being argumentative with somebody. Just saying, hey, you know, like this is what I'm trying to do. I need I need your help, right? Now I'm inserting right. you in the story. I'm making you VIP. You know, like, like exactly. I, I need you to help exactly. me get this done, right? And since I'm working for attorneys, I always refer them back to the attorney. Sure. Please call Attorney Smith. Call that office. Verify that you know that I'm a real person working for Attorney Smith. And then usually they're fine. Before we take a break, <laughs> you reminded me of a story um, of uh, one of the cases I worked on many, many years ago. So I had this gal I was trying to track down for surrogate's matter. Her, her mother had actually died. She had no idea. And she was in a, uh, a shelter, which was a huge challenge, right? I was able to find out she oh, was actually I- in a woman's shelter. But getting her to like to communicate with me was really, really difficult. And finally, like, I don't know, I don't remember how I did it, but but we were able to actually make contact and, and she she comes out of the shelter and she comes to talk to me. I'm like, hey, this is what I'm here about. She goes, I thought you were trying to serve me with divorce papers. <laughs> I was like, no, you're actually entitled to some money. You're like, this is a good this is a good call. So good dodge. You had you should have had her come work for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was funny. It was funny. So we're gonna take a quick break and we got so much stuff to jump into. I'm really excited. That, sure. that we were able to get you on the, um, uh, on the phone here because it's fascinating and really, really, really fascinating. So, all right, everybody uh, sit tight. We're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. 
The next issue of PI Magazine is hot off the presses. Make sure you visit PIMagazine.com for all the details. Check out Matt's columns on Podcasting 101 and PI Perspectives. Check out the PI Institute of Education at PIInstitute.com. Since 1989, Kelly Riddle has been teaching on subjects such as surveillance, nursing home investigations, insurance fraud, domestic investigations, hidden assets, and accident scene investigations. The PI Institute of Education is a featured learning partner in the investigatorstoolbox.com. Check out the free content on the site, then visit the Institute for more great savings on additional classes. And welcome back to PI Perspectives. This is Matt Sperry, your host. Uh, today we are here with uh, Lisa Healy Miller from Healy Miller Associates uh, out of Boston. Lisa, welcome back to the program. Great to be here. You know, amazing. You were talking about your uh, uh, you know, television and, and, and writing and going down that way. I got to say, you have no New England accent. It's amazing. You're like perfect for radio and TV. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why I knew when someone said, you sound like you're from Iowa. I had it down. I actually self-trained. I I made myself lose my accent. Sometimes it creeps through. If I'm very tired, I've had a few cocktails. You may hear it some night. (laughs) So far, we're good. (laughs) All right. We're we're good tonight. Uh, um, Okay. So, Let's let's jump in here. Let's get into this. So what do you think that are some of the the most major mistakes that an investigator makes when they're approaching this air search, uh, trying to do things on their own? Well, good question. I think that if the case is in the United States solely, it can be easier for them to tackle if they don't have a formal genealogy background. I say it can be easier because sometimes you will get a common name like O'Brien. Well, how do you, if you're going back and you have to document this person's grandparents, because we have to document the family tree, right? To see how all of these people who are still living, who can inherit, how do they relate to this person who died? So, you know, I invite anyone to go on Ancestry.com and look up John O'Brien in New York City. Good luck with that. You'll get 25,000 results. Um, I think they're all cops. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, I, I, I think it's good for, um, investigators to familiarize themselves uh, with at least uh, some basic principles. If they don't want to do a deep dive and take a six-month course at Boston University, that's fine. Uh, But I do think that they could take some online courses. There are a number of good ones out there that are very affordable. And just think about how to distinguish those records one from the next. So we have to check that this person's age lines up as we check him in the censuses for 1920 and then 1930, 1940, things like that, ages, addresses, who's living in the household. Those are some of the kinds of things you have to check so that you know that you have the right John O'Brien. Right, right. And I'm sure, uh, you know, that that's one of the major challenges, right? When you have those names that are just so common. In New York, it's Martinez, you know, <laughs> and O'Brien. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you, you get both of them. Uh, exactly. So and, it, and I would also add, don't be afraid to hire another professional. I have had to hire a person in another country when um, 
the search goes overseas. Sure. Um, I may have a little bit of knowledge in that particular language or knowledge of how those record sets work, but I, I cannot, I don't have the gift of gab in, say, Polish, where I can <laughs> convince a parish priest, can you please look this up for me? I'm trying to track this person's great-grandmother or what have you. Yeah. So there are times when it is appropriate to reach out to someone else, even trained genealogists, as you know, uh, investigations is a very large field. None of us is an expert in anything. So reach out to someone when you need the help. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why, you know, like the world association detectives and, and you know, exactly. even, even Nally and NCISS, like these are good resources uh, to tap into, into the, the folks and the things that, that you can't do. Right. Yes, uh, absolutely. So always being a part of those associations is really, really important. Um, mm -hmm. So what do you, what do you think about these ancestry.com and the, the DNA samples and all that? Like, how has that affected your work? Does it make things easier? Is it more of a challenge? Like, <laughs> what's the professional opinion on these things? Oh, well, it, it, it's fabulous that there are giant databases online like ancestry.com. Another one that is provided for free through the Church of Latter-day Saints, the Mormon religion, which is familysearch.org. Right. Um, I urge anyone to check that out. In the old days, and this is before my time, but you'll get the old timers telling me, I had to just, you know, schlep to every single repository and, and go in the basement and look things up in dusty old books. Well, we've got a great uh, wealth of things online now. However, I always want to add, not everything is online. That is definitely true. There's still right. a lot of things that are not online. But I think, Matt, that there is a perception out there that, oh, it's all online. You can just sit in front of the computer, get it done. Um, that's that's not true. There are times you have to reach out, another reason to reach out to a professional, to, to go and, and get a record that is not online. So just because it's not online doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And that, and that involves another skill set, you know, trying to find those records and, and get somebody to, to get to them if they're in another area. So is like DNA a, a reliable resource? Is that something the court recognizes as, as an acceptable proof of, of relationship? I have not had to use that. Um, that's an interesting question you ask. I worked for an attorney some years ago, and he was not sure of the identity of this person that died. He was trying to prove it, though the records were scant. I'm assuming he came from another country. So he had hair from this man's deceased man's hairbrush and said, I'm going to have this tested if I have to. Creepy. <laughs> uh, a little, a little. Um, not to me because it's my field, right. but um, it can, it can be done. And in the several years since I've, I've heard of that case, um, that technology has come a tremendous way. So I have not had to use that yet in an airship case. There are other cases where I've used DNA. I help adoptees identify their biological parents and right. vice versa. Right. And, and DNA is absolutely essential in those areas. Yeah, Once that would, that was short, my next question, right? And you know, like, how does that work on, on adoption cases? That is a tool, I guess, at that particular point then, right? Yes. Over the last several years, that has emerged as an amazing tool. So when you say Ancestry, Ancestry.com also has a DNA database. There are mm -hmm. other leading companies out there. Uh, a lot of your listeners have probably seen the TV ads, especially around the holidays. Sure. 23Me, oh, yeah. MyHeritage, a little bit lesser known. They have their own genealogy database. You can also do a DNA test through them. So there are several of them out there. All of these major companies are extremely reliable. So if someone 
gets a result and says, you know, oh my gosh, I have a half sibling. What happened there? Could could this be a mistake? And the answer is most often no, (laughs) because all of these major services use very reliable labs and the chance of that result being a mistake is possible, but very, very small. Right. Mom or dad has some explaining to do. (laughs) Yes. We're going to have that rough conversation. (laughs) Oh, oh yes. I had one recently where uh, I ended up not having to take the case because a person, the mother in the family confessed, okay, I had an affair during my marriage to your father. Okay, you got me. Right. Finally, when they showed her the DNA results, you know, that that's it. That the proof is in the is in the pudding and this is really half sibling. Yeah. That is amazing. Uh, yeah. So um, tell me, in relation to, uh, I guess, criminal cases, like what's the actual process used to find an adoptee or, or to track a criminal or anything like that? Sure, sure. So let's take it from the perspective of an adoptee. Uh, they, that person wants to know who their biological mother and father are. They would do the test, which involves either very simple, some companies have you spit into a tube, or you do a cheek swab with a like a big long Q-tip, basically, mm-hmm. um, and send it in. And then, voila, after a few weeks or months, your results pop up online. Looking at this can be very intimidating to someone who doesn't know what to make of it or how to interpret the results. That said, I'm not a scientist by any stretch of the imagination. So there are a lot of resources online, a lot of free resources online that can also help you figure this out. But if you don't want to use the time to figure it out, you want to hire a professional, that's something that you can do. So what happens in brief is your results get posted and your closest relatives who have also tested will show up. And if your biological parent has tested or a half-sibling, that person would potentially pop up. In some cases, you may just get a second or a third cousin. You can then look at all of these results, and hopefully people whose results, those that relate to you, hopefully they will cooperate and say, my name is Jane Jones. And then you start to say, ah, okay, so one of my birth parents' names was Jones, and then you start to document a tree and build a tree and figure out where you fit in that tree and reduce the probabilities until you can figure out, well, okay, there are three brothers here. One of them was my biological father. And then comes the tough part, as you say, using Jedi mind tricks, is to contact that family potentially and say, you know, I've I've got some questions to ask, and will you do some additional DNA testing to narrow down who might be my mother or father? So, have you ever come across? I mean, I'm sure the answer is yes, but you know, uh, you know, you have these situations where you actually have to vet somebody, right? They're interested in in having some sort of research done. Are there ethical standards or or certain times where you say, like, "Mm, I'm not so sure I should be finding this person, or you know, like something seems a little fishy to me? Uh, Have you ever come across that situation? Do you mean in terms of DNA specifically? Well, I mean, DNA or, or just air research or, or, or the type of research that you do. You know, where do you mm-hmm. draw the line where it's like, mm, I, I don't think I should be doing this? In terms of air search, I rarely run into that problem because I know it's a real case. The case comes from an attorney, an attorney and yeah. he or she has been hired on um, to um, re- resolve the problem. So I, I don't resolve the problem, meaning trace the heirs. So that's not usually a problem. In terms of DNA, yes. And and as you know, Matt, as all investigators know, uh, there's no ethical 
book of guidelines for us to follow. Sure. There's nothing spelled out as a um, condition of getting our licenses, so we have to use our best judgment. Sure. So I'll give you a quick example. I had one woman uh, who contacted me who said, I'm almost positive this woman is my birth mother. I have contacted her, calling, writing letters, whatever it may be, two or three times, and she has said she wants nothing to do with me, but I want to do a DNA test, and I want you to actually do the work and make sure she is my biological mother. I have a problem with that. Sure. I'm assuming that she has some records, and she is probably correct in assuming this is her biological mother, and this woman wants to be left alone. Sure. So for me to actually confirm that address and continue to fuel that fire. I, I don't feel good about that. Yeah. I mean, listen, if that person shows up and all of a sudden there's an altercation and there's some violence, I mean, yeah, exactly. You, you don't want exactly. to be responsible for that. <laughs> but between between two women, probably not, but, yeah. you, but absolutely there could be other cases where that, yeah. that could be the result. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Uh, uh, and just, and just the, the, the anguish that would be caused by a woman, not just not wanting to, have a part of that child's life, which we may say on the surface that's sad, but we don't know the circumstances of that conception. It could have been an assault. So you've got to be sensitive around that and not force someone who doesn't want to take part. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, you're talking about ethics and what's right and what's not right. I I have seen or or heard just, you know, in the industry, of people that do a lot of this lo- locate work. And I, I try to stay away from it, right? I'm, I work mm-hmm. with personal injury attorneys. Like that's my space. I had a personal mm-hmm. injury attorney the other day contact me and said, Hey, I'd like to re- you know do something personal for me. I had a secretary that worked for me before nine 11. I think she's okay, but I'd like to find her and, and, and make sure she's okay. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> or you may say, I'll do that and contact the woman and say, here is Mr. Client's phone number. You can contact him or not. Right. Okay. And, you know, that's it. And, and yep, she's fine, but I'm not giving you her address. So, uh, so you're, you're bridging it. the gap of my question here because that's, that's where okay. I was going with it. Right. So the, the industry, I guess, chatter about this stuff is if you're going to take on these types of cases, you find the person and then you contact them and say, you know, I, I've been hired by so-and-so who is looking for you. Would you like that person to contact you or would you like to contact them? Here's their contact information. The general consensus from what I've been told is that's the way to approach this stuff. So what is, what is your feeling yes. on that? I would agree, especially where a woman is involved. This could be a domestic violence situation. Right. Uh, you always want to ensure the other person's safety because, look, we most of us have families. You know, we all have to you know, pay the rent, and so to speak, sure. and put the yeah. food on the table. Yep. But do you feel good about giving giving out that person's information as i said especially if it's a woman do you feel good about that maybe not having fully vetted the potential client we we just don't know so i'm 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 in agreement with that yeah. as long as the client's okay with it as long sure. as they understand up front i'm not right. giving you that person's information exactly right to me it's a hornet's nest i don't touch any of that stuff <laughs> uh just by choice right, right? But, but they're best they're, to not even do that but right. but if you have to do it that's how i would handle it also yes right right okay so we we've Covered a couple of uh, unusual cases, so so let's dig in a little more. Can you tell me a couple of uh, things that didn't turn out the way you thought they were going to turn out. Or oh, just come un- on, unusual. no, I have 110 percent batting record here, don't we all? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, all right, Ted Williams, relax. (laughs) Let's go. I am from Boston, so despite my lack of accent. Let me think in terms of not being able to resolve the case or. Well, no, not, not resolving, but it just maybe it turned out differently than you thought it would. Like you went in saying, okay, you know, I'm going to do my research and this is what I'm going to find. And then at the end of the day, what ends up happening is something completely different than, than what you initially thought. Okay. Well, this, this one's a little bit, a little bit sad, but I was contacted by an attorney. This was several years ago. This uh, woman, her husband had died and she said, I think that my husband may have children out there, but I'm not sure. And the attorney felt, you know, we, we need to in- investigate this in case the uh, birth children of this man uh, would inherit anything. And I said, okay. Uh, but, the, well, she said, there's not a lot to go on. I said, okay. So I had numerous conversations with this very lovely older lady who told me some rather incredible stories, but being newer at the business, right. <laughs> maybe hoping for a little excitement in my life, right. I bought them hook, line, and sinker because she was extremely convincing. Right. She told me that her her late husband had broken out of prison, that he had some involvement with a motorcycle gang and had firebombed the headquarters of this motorcycle gang and they were out to get him back in the day and wow. call this guy, he'll verify it's true. And I just got sent in circles by various people who, you know, like that children's game telephone, one kid tells sure, a story yeah. to the next to the next. Okay, so they had all heard the same stories and all assumed they were true and just couldn't verify them. And by the time I was done, I realized that probably this poor lady um, had some mental health issues right. and either either the the, hus- the the former the late husband made up some stories which later got conflated in her mind right. or perhaps she conflated them herself and i realized that you know that, well it turned out there there were no children out there to the best i could determine but it was a really wild ride and i spoke to some crazy people yeah i mean <laughs> so that, that, that's it was entertaining that's the fun of the field work right yeah you, oh, yes. you, you definitely oh, yes. get those right and then you get the story and it, it feels like yes. somebody read a script somewhere and just like started you know telling them as their own experience right oh no kidding oh, <laughs> no kidding really very good, convincing really good script floating around somewhere <laughs> So I was able to resolve the case, but but uh, had I known back then, I, if I heard that same story today, I'd cut some corners and be more prone to question whether that was true or not. Sure. But again, she was very convincing, and I, I guess I was in need of entertainment. Sure. Let's talk a little bit about, so like, I'm the investigator here. I got an attorney that calls me and says, I need to do a... Uh, you know, a, a, a next of kin search. I need you to find, you know, this family, uh, all, all the relatives and everything. And you're like, okay, I'm going to go to TLO or Delft Point or, you know, um, yeah. IDI and, and I'm going to do my research or scope now, whatever. And, you know, you run through and sometimes you get the information, sometimes you don't. And uh, sometimes you, you want to do something thorough. So it's always been like my practice. I'll do that, right? And I'll say, this is what we've come up with so far. However, I recommend... A genealogist is the way to go if you're really serious about doing this research and doing it like full mm-hmm. extent. This is what I recommend. 
And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't, right? Sometimes it's like, mm-hmm. eh, I don't really care to do all that, you know, pay for all that research, right? I just want right. to do something, uh, some, a piece of paper in my hand that I can show the judge and say, yeah, we did our due diligence. And I think sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it does. You're yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and, and that's, you know, I have engaged you or, you know, or at least connected dots with attorneys that, that I do work mm-hmm. with in those situations because it's like, okay, this is out of my pay grade here. Um, mm-hmm. Now we got to hire somebody um uh, to come in and do this. So, you know, having that resource, somebody who does uh, something like you do, I think is really, really important. I think a good investigator, you know, like we were talking about earlier, you know, know your limitations and know when to call in reinforcements, essentially. So do you get a lot of referral work from other investigators? Interestingly, I've not gotten a lot of referral work from other investigators. It mainly comes through attorneys. I'm certainly right. happy to talk to investigators. And uh, if investigators have a, even a quick question here or there, they they, they want to learn a little about genealogy or learn how they can learn about it, I'm, I'm more than happy to um, to talk to them. You bring up a fascinating point because I was also going to say that it seems that genealogists are hesitant to use private investigators, right? Which fascinates me. Right. I, I took a uh, an advanced DNA course uh, at a genealogical institute in Pittsburgh last summer, and the woman who was teaching, I was talking about tracing your family through DNA, and, and you know, using some of those freebie websites like Zaba Search. Okay, look, we won't get you sued here, but in my experience. A lot of times, or some of the times, those results are outdated or incomplete because right. you get what you pay for. <laughs> run the disclaimer. We got to run the disclaimer. Hold on. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's the most I'm going to say about it, in my personal opinion. Right. Um, so I raised my hand and I said, "Hey, I'm not looking for business here because I only work directly for attorneys, right. but." How about hiring a private investigator? Because rather than relying on those sites, you can have an investigator use a legitimate proprietary database, such as some of the ones you just described, Matt, and and get a current mailing address, possibly a phone number, um, a social that can be used to track them. And uh, she just looked at me, the instructor, who is very accomplished in this area, and just kind of went, huh, and then just continued on with the lecture. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's crazy. Can, can we all work together, please? Yeah, I think yeah. It, there's that stigma, right? You know, here's the retired police officer who's, you know, lo, you know, his ex-wife is uh, suing him, and he's, uh, you know, always out at the bars, and you know, the, the, the right. way Hollywood portrays uh, investigators, I think sometimes people get that in their head that it's the, you know, it's not the the resource to go with, which is just nonsense. Um, Right. But as, as we all know, and we started, we're, we're coming full circle because we started this conversation off by saying this is such a broad field. Yeah. There's room for all of us in investigations, and there are many, many different subspecialties. Yeah. And I would definitely call that retired cop if I had some interviewing to do or, right. um, you know, fraud case or something, because I don't deal with that at all. Yeah. And I would hope that person might, might call me if, if he needed to track someone's history. Yeah. And that's the thing. We all have our, our skill sets on things that we excel at. I mean, that's really the spirit of the show here, right? Getting the perspectives of different investigators out there, um, learning, you know, how they do what they do. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, there's so many different types of <laughs> subsets out there. It's, uh, it's endless in our field. It seems that way. Um, so how do folks get a hold of you if they had any questions or wanted to, uh, talk about their family with you? 
Sure. I have a website, which is HealyMiller.com, H-E-A-L-Y Miller.com. No hyphen in there. Mm -hmm. There is a hyphen in real life, but not on the website. (laughs) And that will list all of my uh, contact information. Uh, I should note, too, though, there are uh, a handful of genealogists, a very small number, who do also have... uh, uh, as as I do, also uh, are designated PIs, and I think it's a great advantage. Sure, and it's brought me into a, a fantastic community. Yeah, I mean, listen, I enjoy seeing you down at the spy events. Um, I'll see you here. I know uh, you come down, so I don't know. Uh, Forlini's, I think, uh, is is gone. It's the, the gone the way of the ghost. So uh, we're, we're gonna have to oh, find a, a new venue. They're, they're yeah. talking about setting up outdoor tables, so yeah. Don't count them out yet, but <laughs> all right, all right. We'll see. Hey, listen, if they have, we'll find a place to, to meet. That'll be the least of our problems. Yeah, and they've been doing a good job, Spy, actually, with having the virtual events. Yes. It's been uh, it's been really cool. So uh, I yeah. feel like they should ask you to teach an event, like like you could really do a great webinar in this stuff. Um, that's uh, really cool stuff. So, uh, Lisa, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, my pleasure. I, it's I, been fun. It's been in the back of my mind to get you on and do a spot for uh, for a while. So I'm glad that uh, the stars lined up and we were able to get this done so uh, absolutely yeah thanks so uh, thank you everybody for tuning in and uh, make sure you uh, actually tune into thursday's episode to the quick hits we're doing uh, extra episodes every week now for uh, leading into osmosis so uh, definitely want to check out that extra content yeah we'll catch you guys next week on the uh, on the next regular show so uh, take care guys have a good, good day what a great show today lisa will definitely be back to talk more about dna Thanks so much for tuning in. We also want to thank Crosstracks, the PI Institute for Education, and InvestigatorsToolbox.com for sponsoring the show. Remember, it only takes 41 cents a day to unlock the future of investigations. Make an investment in your business and yourself today. The 25% legacy discount won't last long. Got a question or comment about the show? Email Matt at MatthewS at SatellitePI.com. You can also find them on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. We want your feedback to bring you the best shows possible. Our next show is a quick hit segment with Brian Pate from BabbleStreet.com. We discussed the black market living on the internet. Check out the episode this Thursday. We'll be back on Monday with another regular show featuring New York-based workman's comp attorney, Sachin Gad. Stay safe out there, everyone.